right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to I-Town. It's an honor to have you in the house today. I want to pause as we begin just to say hello to our incredible campuses, our church family meeting in other physical locations. Of course, those of you that weren't able to make it in person, joining us online, wherever you might be today, all the correctional facilities across the state and the couple hundred people that are here at Olson Farms crammed out somewhere in the lobby or the cafe. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other today. Good to be in God's house together. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with if you haven't already. This series is called Full Tank because uh, I love to drive and we talked in week one about how there's just nothing better than having a full tank of gas with the sunshine out and the windows down, the radio up, cruising along, enjoying your life. There's nothing worse than looking down to realize that someone else has run your car out of gas and that you are running on Fumes. That's the devil's goal for your emotional and spiritual life, in case you didn't know. Here's our theme verse, John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it to the full. It's no secret that we've had a really rough couple of years as a nation, and the devil has tried to steal a lot from us, and unfortunately, I think we've begun to see it impact the body of Christ. We are kind of tired. We are weary. It seems like life is heavy. And I believe God's called us to live an overcoming kind of life. Jesus said, I didn't just come so you could survive. I came that your tank would be full, that we would be overflowing. And out of that overflow, we're supposed to be able to be a light to the world around us. So I think it's so important that we make sure week one, we check our gauges and know where our spiritual temperature is at we talked about the churches in Revelation. If you missed it, check it out. Last weekend, we talked about how we have to have a roadmap for where we're going. How do we know what we're supposed to be doing to get from where we are to where God has called us to be? And of course, all of that is found in God's word and uh, has to be revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if the Bible is boring to you, I promise that you are reading it wrong. So check out last weekend because it will come to life. This weekend, I wanna talk about another spiritual discipline, and that's the subject of prayer. And it's one of those very, very important foundational things that we have in the Christian faith. And my prayer for all of you as we kind of pursue God together is that you would cross over from the religious view of all these spiritual disciplines of I have to do it to the relationship view that it should be of I get to do it that it should be the joy of your life. But let's just take a little poll. We're in church, so don't let lightning strike you dead today. How many of you would say you believe in the power of prayer, that prayer is important, we ought to pray? How many, prayer is good? Yeah, all across the room, hopefully at all the campuses, you can put your hands down. How many of you would say that you could probably pray a little bit more, that your life would be better if you prayed more often? Yeah, it's always the same number of votes because... The reality is we do have some intercessors in our church and we thank God for them, but for the great majority of us as followers of Christ, we don't have the kind of problem where like, Pastor, I don't know what's been going on. I'm kind of at, on the brink of losing my marriage and my kids and, and even my job because it just, I don't know, I get up early in the morning and then I get before the Lord and the next thing I know, it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. It's been hours in the presence of the Lord and I just, it's like a moment. We don't really ever get that complaint. Most of us will pray and we'll say every word we know and we will travail, we'll fight the devil, we'll pray scripture, we're sweating, we're like, 
man, I've really moved some mountains today. And we look down and it's been about three and a half minutes. <laughs> and so the reality is prayer should be something that we're growing in and that we're developing. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, that it should be this constant conversation with God and yet we have so little practical information about what it looks like or maybe don't even know why we should pray. And so today we're going to go to probably an uncommon place for the subject of prayer. That's the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to talk about why we should pray. We're going to build the case for why it's important for us to be people of prayer. And then we'll spend the last several minutes looking at Nehemiah, giving us a construct for how to pray. There's lots of different outlines in Scripture that will help you in your personal time, but this is one of the ones that I love, one of the ones that I enjoy using, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. So it's going to be teaching heavy today, give you some real practical information that you can put into practice in your daily life. Now, first, let me give you kind of some context about the book of Nehemiah. The nation of Israel had a covenant with God in the promised land. The Lord said, as long as you serve me, and as long as you keep me first, then you'll be able to prosper in the land. But if you ever wander to serve false gods, then you're going to break this covenant. And I'm going to let somebody else invade the land and take you as prisoners. Well, of course, they had prophet after prophet to try and get the nation of Israel, who was growing increasingly wicked, to turn around. But they just would not repent. And so eventually the Lord allowed Babylon to come and conquer their nation carried off most of the people, and now they have lived 70 years in exile, an entire generation, not knowing the goodness of God, the promises of God, most of them not seeing the temple of God. It was really a heartbreaking situation. And now there are waves of people who are returning. God's stirring in his people's hearts to get back to the promised land, and Ezra was in one of those convoys. Ezra was a prophet, and there's a book of Ezra that you can read. And Ezra comes and brings back uh, reform religiously, kicks out all of the false gods, and really tries to create this synergy around the temple and around worshiping. And they eventually, through lots of adversity, rebuild the temple. But then because of all the reforms that they made, they become adversarial to all the people around them. And so they try to rebuild the walls, and that's where King Artaxerxes steps in and says, you cannot rebuild the wall, and he is the most powerful man on planet Earth, happens to be Nehemiah's boss. And so we pick the story up in Nehemiah chapter one, in verse one, Nehemiah writes, the words of Nehemiah, son of Achalia, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some of the other men, and, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant and about the exile, the people that were there, the remnant left, and about Jerusalem. They said those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace because the wall is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And so they said, look, this situation is bad, Nehemiah. Our country is destitute. We're a laughing stock. We're vulnerable. It's just really kind of a mess. And Nehemiah, he said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, I think this is powerful. And this response is something that we need to learn a lot about. Because most of us, as modern-day Americans, when we find a problem, are people of action. We hear about something that's going on. Somebody's walking through something or somebody's in crisis or trouble. Our first response often is, 
let's get to work. Let's solve the problem. Let's get over there and bless them. Let's get over and have that conversation. Let's make sure we get up in that and put some hard work into it. We'll connect them with a resource. We'll send them to counseling. We'll get involved. There's got to be a solution to this. And while all those things are well and good, in fact, it's important that we do something because without uh, action, faith is completely dead. So we have to have something to mix what we're believing with in order to see an outcome. But I think too many times, even as seasoned Christians, our natural response is to work first and to pray later. The thing that I love about Nehemiah's response is he hears about the condition of what's going on and immediately he pauses to fast and pray. So jot it down this way if you're taking notes. We do more than pray, but we don't do anything until we pray. This should be the foundation of followers of Christ, that we should stop and we should seek God first about everything else in our lives. Now again, there's no doubt that Nehemiah himself is a man of action because they had worked decades to rebuild the wall and by the time he actually gets there, if you read the book of Nehemiah, he rebuilds these walls, completing the impossible task in 52 days. So he gets something that nobody could do before him for generations, for decades, he gets done in just 52 days. It's an unbelievable thing. But yet we see that he's a man of prayer. In fact, nine different times in the book of Nehemiah, we find him pausing to pray. So there's a lot we can learn from him. But first we need to pose the question, why is prayer so important? The first thing, if you're taking notes, I'm gonna give you three of them, is that it, prayer shows our dependence on God. I think it's important for us to be God-dependent instead of self-dependent. In case you haven't noticed, we live in a culture that wants you to be self-dependent or wants you to be government-dependent, but certainly does not want you to be God-dependent. And we need to push against that in our hearts. We need to fight against that tension, that culture, to make sure that we, as followers of Christ, stay God-dependent. In Philippians chapter 4, I've read this verse many times this year. It's just been stirring in my heart where he says, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything. Man, I think that's so vital in the culture that we live in because we have seen that anxiety and fear and depression are on a sharp increase in the world around us. We have people that are overdosing at a rapid rate, addiction is exploding. We have a, an emotional sickness pandemic in this culture. Y'all know that it's worse than anything that we are facing at large as a nation. And yet the solution is right here in scripture for followers of Christ. He says, don't worry about anything. The solution is that you would pray about everything. It's the discipline of acknowledging that there is a God and that I am not him. There is a God, I am not him. There are things that God's responsible for and things that I am responsible for. And you need to make sure that you find out which is which in scripture because you're gonna mess your life up pretty bad if you try to carry the wrong thing. In John 15 in verse five, this is why it's so important we spend time in the presence of God. Jesus himself said, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But read it with me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Come on, read it again. Apart from me, you can do nothing. One more time like you can read. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that means it's great that you have money, it's great that you have influence, it's great that you have God-given talents, but apart from God, you actually in the end won't see the benefit or the outcome that you think you will. 
Apart from God's presence and God's power and the leading of the Holy Spirit, you will be ineffective in the things that matter most. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Which means that every single day, we've got to run to him, acknowledge our dependence upon him, declare our dependence upon him, and resubmit to the fact that he is God and that we are not. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And part of that process is resigning ourselves to the fact that when we pray, that God already actually has a plan for our lives. So prayer is not so much informing God of the things that we need, because even Jesus said, he knows what you need before you ask. So it's good to have a prayer list, but it's not like God is, is like, oh man, if you'd have just said something, I had no idea. How did I miss that? No, he knows what we need even before we ask, and so really what we're doing in this process of submitting to the fact that he is God and that we are not. We're also submitting to the fact that yes, I have needs and yes, scripture tells me to bring those needs to God, but the solution may not be what I plan. Isn't it funny how we come to the Lord when we pray and we've got our list of like, here's all the things I need and here's all the ways you're gonna do it. I just need your rubber stamp here today, praise the Lord. Just do that for me. Thank you very much. And that's actually not what prayer is at all. Prayer is actually bowing our knee to the king of all kings and saying, not my will, but your will be done. I think these are the things that I'm facing and this is what I need. Here are the promises, we'll talk about that in a minute, in your word that says that you'll move on my behalf. But at the end of the day, I'm just acknowledging that you're God. And Isaiah 55, of course, continually reminds us that as high as the heavens are, higher than the earth, so his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God has a better plan because he's bigger, better, smarter, more powerful than any of us. Prayer is just acknowledging all of that is true. So every time you face a problem in life, instead of asking, what am I gonna do about this? You should ask, God, what do you want to do about this? So prayer is, prayer is saying, I'm not in charge. I'm dependent upon God. I don't have the power to execute what he's called me to execute, the life he's called me to live. I don't have the knowledge to do it. I don't even know what I'm doing. To be honest, I'm just following the leading of the Holy Spirit. So God, not my will, but yours be done. I'm dependent upon you. I don't have all the answers. Then when we do that, the second purpose for prayer is that it's lightening our load. We're in this series because many of us are running on empty, carrying the weight of the world. Well, Nehemiah was just the same. His heart was broken for his fellow countrymen. In verse 4, we read a moment ago, he was weeping and he's mourning. I just want to acknowledge for a minute that there is weight that comes with that. I wonder how many of us are carrying something that we haven't even paused for a minute to realize where that heaviness is coming from. Man, it's heavy when your marriage isn't working right. It's heavy when things are off in your family and your kids are living for the devil or they're just acting crazy and you're not sure what to do. It's, it's heavy when you're not real sure because you got a whole lot more month at the end of your money and you're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. It's heavy. Life gets heavy when your career's not on track or you feel like God's called you into a step of ministry but you're not sure what it's gonna look like or that it even is working. There's weight that comes with that. And Nehemiah takes on the weight of his people. 
Man, the city is broken and, and people are in a horrible place. And so he had to sit down and he begins to weep and he mourns, but then he brings it to the Lord in this discipline of prayer because he's living out the definition of his name. You know, the name Nehemiah literally means the Lord is my comfort. So Nehemiah is pursuing the Lord, recognizing that this was not his weight to carry. You see, I think too many of us carry weights that God never intended for us to carry. I brought a little example with me. This is uh, a little weight vest from my own gym. It's an older one and will beat just the life out of you if you try to work out with this thing on. But we're going to Mr. Rogers it for just a minute today. Won't you be my neighbor? Okay. That's not stupid. So here's what we do. We have these weights that come in life that we like to take on, that we like to carry. We say, Lord, I love you and I want to serve you with all of my heart, but you know, my marriage is pretty important, so I'm going to stress about that just a little bit. I'm going to hold on to that today because that's kind of a big deal. And my kids, man, they're just living like the devil and full of him too, so I'm worried about that and I'm going to kind of carry that a little bit. And I know the economy is bad and I'm not real sure if we're going to go into a recession or not, so that's going to carry just a, just a little bit of weight, just a little bit. It's just a, it's just a pound. I'm just going to stick that in there and then I'm not sure about that friend you know I saw him at Walmart and they made eye contact and then they turned around and walked away and I knew they've been talking about me and I'm sure all my friends hate me now and so now I'm all alone and I'll die completely lonely and and I just don't know what that's going to look like and so here we have all these weights and then we think as we live for God as Christians that we're going to be able to put all this on and be just fine that life is gonna be great. Lord, I love you and I trust you, but I've just got a few things I've picked up that are important to me that I need to be God for. And we wonder why we get so weary and why we get so tired and why some of you feel so exhausted. You come into worship and it's just like, oh, I can't even stand up straight. It's just that this heaviness. It's because we're carrying stuff the devil has added to us sometimes without us consciously processing Man, my, my loved one is sick, and, and I didn't even realize it, but it's, it's adding some weight to my life. We haven't been on the same page in our marriage for a while, and, and, and that friction, it's, it's weighing on me. My kids are struggling a little bit, and it, it puts weight. There's a weight that comes with it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not a way to cope with the weight, he says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, he goes on, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Here's the important verse, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, I'm just gonna submit something for you to think about, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but I, I need you to just open your mind to this possibility, Okay? Best I can tell, and I've only lived 40-some years, all right, so I'm, I'm still figuring this out, but best I can tell, God is pretty good at being God. He's kind of good at his job, like kind of has a 100% track record as far as I can tell so far. I mean, he, he hasn't let me down yet. Maybe he will. Who knows? But for thousands of years and for generations, I think he's got a pretty good track record, the, Bible, the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. That's pretty good, right? I've never seen their children begging bread. God always provides. God's always there. So 
Take a step with me. If God's good at being God, if he's good at doing his job, and your life is heavy, it's probably your fault. I'm just saying. Because Jesus said, my burden is Come on, say it like you believe it. My burden is light. So if your life is not light, you're carrying a burden that you're not supposed to carry. You've strapped on something in your life vest that Jesus is like, yeah, that's, that's not supposed to be there. That's not yours to carry because some of the responsibility is yours. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to ask God. We're supposed to stand in faith. We're supposed to take steps, but we're not supposed to carry it. Prayer is this discipline of recognizing the things that we have picked up and then submitting to the fact that we're not supposed to be carrying those things. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, he gives us the solution. It says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So take all the worries and all the weight and all the junk of life and cast it. That's not like a fishing term. In fact, that word only appears twice in the Greek New Testament. And the only other time it appears is when people threw stuff onto the back of a donkey, a beast of burden. So Jesus says, I want you to come, and I just want you to sling all your stuff and just leave it with him. Now, unfortunately, that's gonna be probably like 75 times a day when you first start this process. Because you'll have this moment with the Lord, and it's what happens at church. You have this moment in his presence, you're like, yeah, come on, let's go. Then you get out in the parking lot and your car doesn't start, <sighs> You get to the kids' area, and they're like, I'm sorry that your child smoked boogers all over the wall today. We love Johnny's spirit. You're like, oh, Lord. Like, it doesn't take much to take the wind out of your sails, and then you have to immediately get back to the discipline of casting your anxiety on him and casting it in again. And that's why the Bible says to pray without ceasing, because the devil is attacking you with weight. These are not easy to get on, in case you didn't know. The devil is attacking you with weight on a regular basis that you're not intended to carry. So prayer is this constant discipline of making sure that we remember that he is God, I am not. There are things that he has to do and they're not mine to carry and so I'm gonna lighten my load by acknowledging that I am not gonna be God for myself today. It's not up to me to figure out every problem to every solution and everything that I face in this life. The third thing is that Prayer releases God's power. It's so important that we pray because we believe that it moves the hand of God. In fact, in Jeremiah 33, he says, call to me and I will answer you. I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. James chapter five says it this way. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise them up. The Bible says that we have power that comes with prayer, we need to understand that power is available to all of us because it goes on to finish. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It didn't say the prayer of the pastor. It didn't say the prayer of the prophet or the apostle. The prayer of the super holy, it just says the prayer of the righteous. You know what it takes to be righteous? Righteous means that we're in right standing with God. How do you get there? You can't earn it. It's by grace that you are saved. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ shed at Calvary, which means every one of us has the equal opportunity to have powerful and effective prayers if we are submitted 
to the cross of Christ. You can be in right standing with God, which means that you can move mountains with your prayers, that you can see blind eyes open, you can see sick people recover, you can see mountains move, you can see doors open, you can see the favor of God in your life. Prayer is powerful. And so we have to get into the habit of unlocking God's power. Why would you want to have the power of the Almighty God available as a follower of Christ at your fingertips and never access it? Why would we live every day beat up, worn out, carrying the weight of all of our fear and all of our trials and all our circumstances and all our family while all the power you could ever need was right available to you in a moment of prayer? Well, the devil just tricks us into believing. I don't have time for prayer. I don't know how to pray. God wouldn't answer my prayer. I'm not sure if it would work for me. I've never been a prayer warrior. I don't have all the fancy King James words. Like the Lord is like, that wasn't in King James. I got nothing. I don't know. You got to throw more these and vows and buses in there, bro. There's nothing mystical about it. In fact, let me give you four things as a simple outline for how you can pray. All right, we get back to Nehemiah in verse five. He said, the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commands. This is the opening prayer of Nehemiah. What he is saying in this prayer, number one, is God, this is who you are. It's important that you begin your prayer time by reminding yourself how great and how awesome your God really is. Go back to that prayer. He says, you are great. You are awesome. You keep your covenant. There's three things to that. The first one is, God, you are great. We're talking about his position. You are Lord of all. You are king of kings. Everything in the universe must bow its knee to the name that's above every other name because you existed before the foundations of the earth. There is nothing that you do not know. There is nothing that you cannot do. When God introduced himself to mankind, he said, I don't have a name. I just am. That's who you are praying to, and that is who you serve. It's pretty awesome for us to remember, God, you're great. And then he says, God, you're awesome. That's God's power. So not only does he have the position to be an authority over everything in the universe, but he also has the power to do anything he desires. So it's not like God's like, man, I'd love to help you out, but I'm just a little short right now. We got a lot of fires we're putting out. It's just, I mean, I'll get to it when I get to it. No, he is all powerful. He is the alpha and the omega. There's nothing that he cannot accomplish. Your God is amazing. And you need to remind yourself of that. And then it says he always keeps his promise. He's faithful. So we pray God's position. We pray God's power. We pray God's promises. It's good for you. Maybe even go back to the Old Testament covenant names. You know, every time God revealed himself to the nation of Israel, he would reveal his character and his desire to them in a name that he would give himself. So he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Nisi, our banner of victory. Jehovah Sikhanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. You begin to pray the names of God. Jesus taught us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Remind yourself of who God is because I'm telling you, the devil's always trying to beat you up over the fact that God doesn't love you and God's not there for you. No, he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is faithful. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He will always be there for you. Every good and perfect gift you have comes from your Father in heaven who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. It's important to start by saying, God, I'm reminding myself of how great you are, how amazing you are, how loving you are. Give him the praise that he deserves. Then in verse six, he goes on. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted wickedly. And we have not obeyed the commands and the decrees and the laws that you gave your servant Moses. What he's saying is, number two, God, this is who I am. This is a humbling, repentant posture. I don't deserve for you to do a thing. On this side of the cross, you should pray, Lord, salvation was enough. Who are we that you are mindful of us, but thank God you do care about us, but there's gotta be this humility and attitude of repentance and acknowledging who we are. Nehemiah did not lead the country into idolatry. He didn't have anything to do with it. He was just a cupbearer to the king in Babylon, but he is in this moment owning and taking responsibility for the sins of his nation. You know why? Because the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and repent, turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I'd hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. Nehemiah knew that promise. So Nehemiah says, I'm going to take responsibility for the sins of my people, for the sins of my generation, and God, for anything in my life that's off, I repent. We need to have an attitude of humility and repentance, and I, we need to pray for that over our nation. We have so much arrogance, so much perversion, and so much pride in this nation. Jot this down if you're taking notes. Leaders accept blame, but losers are always accusers and excusers. Hello, Washington. Bunch of losers. All they do is blame everybody else for all their problems. It's never anybody's fault except for somebody else. Don't follow that leadership. Don't follow the leadership you see around you of people ducking and dodging. Take responsibility for what you've done wrong because God can bless that. If we come to God with an attitude of arrogance and pride, Lord, our, our country's all sinful and it's going to hell. Well, they went to hell on our watch. Let's repent on behalf of them. Lord, we get on our knees and we humble ourselves. What have we done wrong? How can we be more bold? God, we repent for all kinds of pride and for greed and for lust and for power and for perversion and confusion. God, we repent. I'm telling you, it's this attitude of repentance that unlocks the favor of God. Verse 8, he says, would you remember the instruction that you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're exiled to the farthest horizon, I will gather from there and I will bring you back to the place that I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. Number three, as you develop your prayer structure, the third thing you pray is, God, this is what you said. This is where last week comes to life. You gotta get in the Word and find a promise. Because there are over 7,000 promises in God's Word about your life. Everything you need, everything you could possibly ask of God is found in His Word. You cannot pray your opinion and you cannot pray your will because neither of those will ever be answered. God's not forgetful, but He loves to be reminded of the promises He has made. The authority that you and I have in this life and prayer comes from God's word that we studied last week. So it's important to have it as a foundation 
for your life. And I don't know what it is you're facing, but I promise that there is a promise in God's Word about it. And I'm here to tell you today, jot it down if you're taking notes, the strength of your prayers are directly connected to your knowledge of God's promises. Your prayers will be wildly ineffective if you're praying your will and your desires. But if you pray God's will, you pray God's Word, it will stand. It's important that we go to God's Word. If you don't know how to find it in God's Word, go to Google. Redeem that bad boy. Man, the internet is being used to destroy just about everything in life. Redeem it. Find me a scripture on healing. Go. You'll find one. You'll find hundreds of them. There are scriptures about peace. There are scriptures about reconciliation. There are scriptures about blessing and prosperity. Scriptures about life and joy. You can find anything that it is that you are searching for in God's word and then put it in your cell phone, put it on a note card, put it somewhere you can find it and pray about it. God, this is who you are. You are great and you are awesome. You're incredible beyond anything I could possibly imagine. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence, God. This is who I am. I'm rebellious and I'm sinful. And I repent for all the attitudes and thoughts that I've embraced, all the actions and inactions. But God, this is what you said in your word. If I would just stand on this promise that you would come to pass, that you would move. Verse 10, he goes on to say, they are your servants. I'm praying and interceding for this nation whom you have redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. And now, would you give me success today by granting me favor in the presence of this man? You see, what well, oftentimes when we read Nehemiah, we don't realize is that four months has passed from the beginning of this prayer to the end. From the time that Nehemiah heard about the destruction in the city to the time that he actually entered the king's quarters with an entire plan to rescue the nation of Israel. Four months had passed. I often wonder in my holy imagination how his prayer life developed during that time. Probably started off with the weeping and the mourning and the fasting and the praying of God. Something must be done. Then he probably progressed to God. Nothing happens until you raise up a leader. Everything that changes in life is from leadership. So God, send someone to maybe God, you haven't sent anybody. Is this something I'm supposed to do? To God, how am I supposed to do this? If I were to be the one, what would be the steps and what would be the process? Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me, guide me, help me understand the plan so that when the moment comes, I'll be prepared. To now the conclusion of the prayer, Lord, I pray that you would bless this next step that I'm getting ready to take. I need favor in the presence of this man. Number four, we conclude our prayer with, God, this is what I'm asking. Don't ever start your prayer life with the things that you want from God. Good morning, God. I need you to give me peace and joy, and I'd sure like for you to fix my jerk of a husband. And God, we just thank you for these kids that you kind of blessed us with, but Lord Jesus, you know how bad they are. That's not a prayer life. It's not a relationship. God, this is who you are. God, this is who I am. Lord Jesus, this is what you said in your word. These are the promises I'm standing on. But God, today, this specifically is what I am asking. Give me favor, Nehemiah prays, as I get ready to enter this conversation. Do you know, jot it down as we close, general prayers don't have answers. 
Don't just pray general prayers. Lord Jesus, I just thank you today. We'll be blessed. That's a wonderful thing to say, but Lord, help me increase today. Well, if someone comes and gives you a number two pencil, God answered your prayer. Somebody gives you a quarter, prayer's answered. Don't pray general prayers. Pray specific prayers. Nehemiah said, I have developed a plan. I have listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. This is a key moment, God. This one man is the person through whom everything could change. There's a whole teaching there on who that king person is in your life because you could be one favored relationship away from everything in your life happening. All of Nehemiah's dreams and all of his plans and all of his goals, all of his prayers, all his preparation rested in one conversation. He's about to go into the presence of Artaxerxes, the king who denied the building of the wall, and he's about to ask, hey, you remember that city that you wouldn't let the walls go around? Well, here's the deal. I would like to have three months off from work to travel there. I would like to rebuild the project that you personally denied. And how do you feel about paying for it all? That was his ask. That's a bold prayer. But Nehemiah had been led by the Holy Spirit in his preparation, we have to believe, and he was ready for that moment that he asked for the favor of God in his life. And of course, God granted him favor that day, and he was able to return and rebuild the walls. Where are you at today in your life? As you follow the Lord in your business, in your marriage, in your children, in your career, can we pray, God, would you give me favor in doing that? Because some of you would say, I'm not really where I'm supposed to be. Here's my last thought for you as we close. If I can't ask God to bless what I'm doing, I should probably start doing something else. With every head bowed and every eye closed, for some of you, this is a turning point in life because you would say, man, the way I'm doing business, the way I'm leading my family, the way I'm raising my children, I can't ask for God's blessing on. If you're in that place today, it's probably pretty safe to assume that life's pretty heavy and that you're probably pretty tired because you're carrying a burden that you were not designed to carry. Jesus' invitation to you today is come and I'll give you rest. He wants to make your life light. He wants to make your tank full. But it doesn't come through religion. It comes through relationship. It comes by submitting yourself to him. I would love to take just a moment to pray with you before we go. With no one looking around, maybe that's you today. The Holy Spirit wants to do a deep work, a miracle in your heart to help you leave here light and free. The Bible says he makes everything brand new. If that's you, you know it is because the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart. Let's pray together. I'm not gonna make you stand or come to the front afterwards. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I just, I just wanna connect you with Jesus where you're at if that's you with no one looking around at all of our campuses, Overflow, watching online, wherever you might be, if you say, today, Dave, that's me. I need Jesus. I need him to touch me, fill me, change me. Would you lift your hand up high for just a moment to say, I'm ready to pray that prayer. Come on right now. Just be bold for just a moment. Put your hand up high. Yeah. That's awesome. So proud of you all across the room. 
At all of our campuses, you can put your hands down if you haven't already. Here's what we'll do. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart because it's between you and God. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. For all my sin, I repent. Today, I give you all the weight I've been carrying. Help me to follow you. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to leave here free. In Jesus' name I pray. Lord, we celebrate today that you are God. Help us this week to practice the discipline of prayer to allow you to acknowledge that you are God to let you play that role. We thank you that we can live light and we can live full. We can live free when we submit to you. So help us in this discipline to every day without ceasing cast our cares on you. And God, we thank you today for how much you care about every detail of every person's life in this place. You're so good, better to us than we deserve. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you help me celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.